Well, we're in our last week of Ephesians. Uh, If you have a Bible in front of you, keep it open. Uh, If you could follow along, uh, that would be great. Well, as we approach our final passage in Ephesians, there is something in this passage that does make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. I don't know if you noticed it when we read it, but for some of us, it might be a little bit foreign. We see it there in verse 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. Ephesians 6, near the beginning of today's passage, speaks of the devil. And that's not something we talk about heaps, is it? Now, C.S. Lewis says this, there are two equal and opposite errors about the devils. One is to disbelieve the existence, and the other is to believe and feel an unhealthy interest towards them. And so we can make the mistake of pretending that he doesn't exist. Or it can take over all that we talk about so that all we end up saying are things about evil forces. And so while there are some of us here who might come from cultures that are acutely aware of spiritual forces, so for example, my grandparents would be from one of those cultures, most likely I suspect you're like me rather than my grandparents. So I go through the week, I focus on what's there physically in front of me, But I have no thoughts at all about the devil or about a spiritual realm. Which is why verse 12 for some of us might actually be troubling. Because not only is the devil real and clever and employs tactics, but we're in a battle with him. Verse 12. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of the evil in the heavens. And not only are we in a battle with evil powers, but we discover in chapter 2 in Ephesians that Satan has power. So chapter 2, verse 2, he's described as a ruler, and he has authority over those who aren't Christian. And so not only has he got authority and power, but he's got a lot of people on his side as well. And verse 12 says, we're in a battle with him. It does sound a little worrying, doesn't it? And for some of us, it can make us feel a little bit small, and it can make us feel a little bit weak. How on earth are we supposed to fight this battle? Uh, There's a student I used to meet up with uh, at uni, uh, and he showed so much zeal for the gospel. He was one of the greatest evangelists that we had at uni. He was actually an international student, so he was a doctor in China. And so every summer when he went back to work as an intern, uh, to work as a doctor, he would get all the interns underneath him to read the Chinese translation of Mark's gospel because he could, and he just became a Christian, and he was really keen, and you you can't do it here, I'm sure. Um, But he did that, and it was great. But when I met up with him a few months ago, he told me that he no longer believed that the Bible was real. And you can just kind of see Satan grab a foothold in his life. What am I supposed to do to help? I felt small. And I felt weak. Yet, even in our own struggles and in our own doubts, and so when we sin and we repent, but then we sin again and again, and Satan tells us that maybe we're just not cut out to be a Christian. We feel small and we feel weak. So, how on earth are we supposed to fight this battle? The key is verse 10. 
For us who are small and weak, Paul encourages us. Be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Now notice he doesn't say be strong, work a little harder, put in a little bit more effort. But be strengthened by God. God will strengthen us. And, the, and so the key in this battle is God and what he has given us. And so verse 10 actually shapes the rest of this chapter. And so what does God give us? Well, that's our first point for today. He gives us armor. It's like a kid's dream when you go to a a dress-up party. Verse 11. Put on the full armor of God so you can stand against the tactics of the devil. Now, at the risk of sounding obvious, it's not talking about physical armor. And so Phil's away this week. But it's not that we're going to see him come to church next week with, like, chain mail and, like, a breastplate and, like, a helmet, uh, a knight's helmet on his head. Physical armor won't work. Look at verse 12. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. And so it's not physical armor. It's symbolic. And every piece, which we will see later, represents something that God has given us. And we need all of it. And so verse 13, this is why you must take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand and resist in the evil day, and having prepared everything, to take your stand. And so we need uh, all of God's armor to help in this battle. Now, how is it that God's armor will actually help us? Is it like our armor in a video game is like level one, and God's armor is level 100, and so we put on his armor and that we get to defeat all the enemies because it's so much better? Maybe, but not exactly. It's actually helpful when we look at what God's armor actually is. And so we see a list of that in verses 14 to 17. And when we do that, it's actually interesting to note that a lot of this armor actually brings us back to the Old Testament. And more specifically, it actually refers to Isaiah. And in Isaiah, God is described as a warrior. We're not going to flick to it now, but for those who take notes and want to write it down and look it up later, Isaiah 11, 4 to 5, Isaiah 52, verse 7, Isaiah 59, 17. And in these verses, God is depicted as a warrior who's victorious. And so he fights Israel's battles, he judges the nations, and he brings salvation to his people. And the reason Paul picks up Isaiah is that because his victory in Isaiah is ultimately seen in Ephesians and Jesus. God in his power has raised Jesus from the dead to rule over all the heavens and over all the powers. He has fought this battle for us and won. It's already been done. And so when it says put on the armor of God, it's not saying put on the armor that just so happens to belong to God. It's actually saying God has worn this armor in his defeat of the devil. And so this same armor that God wore in his victory, he is now giving to you. And so put on this victorious armor that God has worn. And so do you see then how God's armor actually helps us. And it actually helps us in verse 13, resist in the evil day. Because even though we're in a battle, and the devil is clever, he has been defeated. And having God's armor means that we don't have to be afraid, or actually fully equipped. And so when that day comes, it might not have come yet, but it probably will in the future, that you question why you're a Christian. Whatever those circumstances may be. Having been prepared and fully equipped with what God has given us, we will be able to resist and stand firm. 
And so verse 13 encourages us to be prepared and with God's armor to take your stand. And so our second point for today, take your stand. Now here we actually get a description of what God's armor actually is. Now as we go through each of them, we're going to notice that Paul is tying up together a lot of what he's been talking about in Ephesians. And so firstly, the belt of truth, verse 14. Stand therefore with the belt with truth like a belt around your waist. And so when we become a Christian, everything about us changes. Our attitudes, our thinking, and so therefore what comes out of our mouth also changes. And we've seen this in chapter 4, verse 15. We've been called to speak the truth in love so that we can grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. In Ephesians, we speak the truth of the gospel to one another. And in speaking, we actually build each other up and we grow together into maturity. And so it means when we have those moments when the devil tells us that we're not good enough, we've just sinned and we've sinned again. And there are those times where you're not sure if you can actually even approach God for forgiveness. And we hear the devil's lies again and again, that we're not good enough, that we're not good enough. This is saying that the truth of the gospel actually speaks into that. We have been raised with Christ. Not because I'm good, but because he's won the battle for me. We are forgiven. And we also have each other to speak this truth to each other as well. And so the devil's lies won't work because we have the truth. Moving on, we also have righteousness like armor on your chest. Now, this is like the armor in chapter 4, verse 24, where we're told to put on your new self, the one created according to God's likeness, in righteousness, in purity, in truth. When we become a Christian, we become a new creation, a new person. We have a new way of living. And so in this sense, we put on righteousness. And so when Satan tells us that sin isn't that bad, uh, that what we've done, it's, it's only a little one, God will forgive us anyways. And it doesn't really matter how you live. This is actually a reminder that it's not true. We aren't saved by works, we are, but we are new people. And so we're to walk worthy of who we are. Verse 15, we have our feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. Now, most of the images so far have been quite defensive. We stand. We don't need to fight this battle to win it. It's already been won. But this one here is actually a little bit different. Our feet are wearing readiness, if you like. And so we aren't just standing. We are actually ready to go. Why? Well, it says in this verse, for the gospel of peace. So this same gospel that equips us for the battle, we are also to bring to other people. And so being equipped with these sandals of readiness helps us when we're at work or we're at uni or we're at school. And you know those opportunities that keep coming up when we can speak the gospel? It's a Monday morning and we're talking about the weekend. Or it's a Tuesday morning after a long weekend. And we just let those moments pass. And we always look back and we always regret not saying something. Being prepared helps us to be ready when those moments come up. Verse 16, in every situation, take the shield of faith, and with it you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now this is a frightening image, the devil firing flaming arrows at us. I had my bucks party a few months ago, and uh, instead of paintball, because I don't think I could handle paintball, we had archery tag. Uh, And so instead of a gun, you have a bow and arrow. 
Now, at the end, being the buck, of course, they lined everyone up, uh, and they had me in the firing range. And so, obviously, it's not real arrows. There's like a styrofoam tip at the end. But still, standing there with 10 people with a bow and arrow pointed at you, like, that's not something I'm keen to repeat. You hear that, Pete? Buck's party. (laughs) And so flaming arrows, that's a frightening image, isn't it? Yet we're reminded in chapter 2, verse 8, that we're saved by a grace through faith. And that's not from from yourselves, it's God's gift. And so in our weakness, we're reminded that even our very faith is given to us by God. And so there are actually many ways that Satan can attack us. He can remind us of our failures, of those things that we did that we wish we didn't do, and it's too late to undo. Or maybe he can trick us into thinking that maybe somehow it's our service that makes us valuable before God. And when we fail in that service, to think that God thinks less of us. Or he can trick us into thinking that maybe the Christian life is just too hard and possibly too, too hard to keep going and too hard to hold on. Yet in every situation, we're reminded that our salvation isn't based on what we do or what we cannot do, but it's by faith. And the God who gives us our faith will also give us what we need to continue. And so because we have faith, it's like this massive shield we have that Satan's arrows cannot penetrate. We have the helmet of salvation in verse 17. We're protected because we know that our salvation is certain. And our last piece of armor is the sword of the Spirit, which in verse 17 is God's word. Because even though we have sandals of readiness, when we tell others the gospel, it can be easy and tempting to think that evangelism won't work. Now, one of my best high school friends used to call himself Christian. Yet, every time I I bring up the gospel, he avoids it at all costs. And it's hard to actually know how God can save him. I used to meet up with a guy who used to tell me that he would pray for his grandma every week. Because every time he brought up Jesus, it was like hitting against a brick wall. And it's actually hard to imagine how God can save her. Yet here we're reminded that God's word is powerful. It's like a sword. It will do God's work. And so in our evangelism, we may not know what will happen or how God will use our words, but we know that it's not futile and nor is it useless. And so it encourages us in this battle to continue and to continue speaking God's words. And so I hope you can see that even though Satan attacks us, we actually don't need to be afraid. We can actually stand with confidence. Because in the gospel, God has not only won this battle, but he's actually given us everything we need in the gospel to stand confidently until he returns. And so while this passage may be uncomfortable for some of us because it forces us to look into a spiritual world, we are also able to see God's victory and how he actually equips us and gives us everything to stand firm. Now, knowing this, we come to our last point for today. Uh, knowing that we're in a spiritual battle, and that we're, but also that we're totally reliant on God, it drives us to pray. And so verse 18, Pray at all times in the Spirit, with every prayer and request, and stay alert in this with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. 
We pray in the Spirit because this same Spirit who is powerful as we bring the gospel to others, he is also powerful in our prayers. And we bring everything in prayer. And it's something that requires effort here, isn't it? We're to stay alert. We're to persevere in prayer. And we pray for other Christians as well. Which makes sense, because we're, if we're all in a spiritual battle, then of course we're actually going to pray for each other. And Paul finishes by asking for prayer. That he will speak the gospel with boldness. For even though he's in chains, and by the world's standards, he looks weak, doesn't he? And he seems powerless. He knows that the words of God are carried by God's spirit. And that those words aren't weak. And nor are those words powerless. And so he asks for prayer that he will be able to speak these words. And so we are to pray. Which is a very easy thing to say and a very hard thing to do, isn't it? Because we all know that we should be praying more. And it's something that we all struggle with. And it's all something that we feel incredibly guilty about. And so the hope isn't actually that we spend 30 minutes every morning diligently going through a prayer diary every day. And if you do, that's great. Keep going. But the hope is that actually, in seeing a spiritual realm that we're all a part of, for us to actually realize how utterly dependent on God we are. And for this to actually drive us to be dependent on God for everything. And so the great preacher Charles Spurgeon was known to say that he hardly spends five minutes at a time praying. Yet hardly five minutes goes by without him speaking to God. And so prayer looks different in all sorts of ways. But as we come to realize that this world is not just flesh and blood, and how much we depend on God, the hope is that our very posture would change. And so that we're people who actually stand firm with God's armor, but that we're people who are reliant and pray at all times. Now, as we finish uh, going through these final verses, and as we finish going through the book of Ephesians, we see here that Paul is someone who, from the world's eyes, appears weak, and he appears fragile. Verse 20, he's in chains. He's in prison because of the gospel. Yet, at the same time, he's actually not someone who's given up, is he? It's actually quite the opposite. It's actually funny to think that the one who was chained in prison is also the one who writes for us to be strengthened by God. His chains at the end of the day aren't his main concern because he realizes that our battle isn't against flesh and blood. It's actually a spiritual one. And so his concern is that he's an ambassador for the gospel and that he actually speaks this gospel. And he also finishes with concern also for those he writes to. He hopes to send Tychicus to them, to encourage them, and for them to stand firm. But it's also an encouragement for us as we read this as well. It's an encouragement for us to not see this world as just flesh and blood. To actually realize that there's a real spiritual battle happening here. But also to know that we already sit with Jesus in heaven. That he's already fought this battle with Satan. And that he has won. And so as we finish up in Ephesians, I hope you're actually encouraged here to stand firm. To know that God has given us everything everything we need in the gospel while we wait for him to return. And so, let's actually continue to stand with confidence until we wait for that day he comes back and that day when our spiritual reality actually becomes our physical reality. Let's finish in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have won this battle for us, 
that by Jesus' death and by his resurrection, he is the ruler over all things. Thank you that not only have you won this battle, but as we wait for you to return and as we walk this difficult Christian life, that you have given us everything we need to stand firm. And so for the years ahead, for our struggles now, we pray that we will never forget the gospel. Keep reminding us of these truths. Keep bringing us back to them so that we'll continue standing firm until that final day. Amen.